Behind every important relationship in your life, there is a greater cosmic story. I'm Dr. Diane Skafta, inviting you to explore the multidimensional bonds that connect you with loved ones in this world and in other domains of reality. Please join me as we enter the wondrous mysteries of love beyond time. Have you ever found yourself locked in a relationship that doesn't make sense? I say locked because you can't seem to leave, and yet staying may feel very uncomfortable. You perhaps begin to feel that something's wrong with you because you can't get off dead center. Being the self-reflective person that you are, you look at psychological patterns you might be carrying from your family or interior belief system. You reflect upon your own feelings, expectations, and motivation in the relationship, perhaps with the help of a counselor. These steps we must always take when facing a puzzling or problematic situation. But if these steps do not lead you to resolution, I invite you to consider a multidimensional explanation. It is possible that you are feeling the force of a karmic contract. This is an agreement your soul has made with itself to carry out certain actions or to have certain experiences. Karmic contracts, or if you prefer, we can call them destiny agreements, exert a strong influence on the events of your life. They attract certain persons and circumstances that set the stage for fulfilling your pledge. You may feel impelled to stay in a relationship until you have accomplished certain goals. To get a living sense of how this may all operate, I'd like to tell you about a client I worked with whom I will call Arthur. His story illustrates the mysterious power of a karmic contract and how it can ultimately set a person free. Arthur came to my office at the suggestion of a former client of mine. They were both graduate students in the history department at a nearby university. Arthur had recently begun withdrawing from his social circle. He made excuses for not attending get-togethers or going to school events with the rest of them. When I asked him how he felt about his group of friends, he said he enjoyed being with them, but he felt obliged to spend more time with his wife, Marisa. She didn't like to socialize, but neither did she want to stay home alone while he went out. As I talked to Arthur about his marriage, an unusual picture emerged. He seemed to feel bound by a strong obligation to do everything for his wife. He did all the shopping and housework, cooked all the meals, and even made Maurice's breakfast before he went to school. Now, these duties he performed in addition to working in a part-time job. According to Arthur, Marisa had made it clear from the beginning of their marriage that he had to take care of her. And though he did his best to please her, she seemed to carry constant resentment towards him telling him that he didn't do enough for her and that he took her for granted and that at any day he would probably leave her or betray her. 
Friends and family who knew about the situation quietly asked Arthur if he had considered getting a divorce, especially because there were no children involved. I asked Arthur how he felt about this possibility. I can't do that, he said with finality. Is it because you love Marisa and don't want to leave her, despite the problems between you, I asked. I'm not sure I love her, he answered thoughtfully. I am only sure I will not leave her. He spoke with the words of of such resolute loyalty and conviction, uh, the way I would have imagined the patriot Nathan Hale saying, I regret that I only have one life to give for my country. And I saw that Arthur's loyalty was not to his wife exactly. It was to his own soul. Somewhere deep within, he had pledged to stay by her no matter what. This is when I understood that Arthur was operating under a karmic contract. Now, I knew better than to present Arthur with a metaphysical concept that he might find strange but I hope to lead him gently to his own realizations. We would begin by exploring his deep feelings and associations around Marisa. I'd like to hear more about the story of you and Marisa, I began. Like, for example, how did you meet each other? Arthur instantly brightened up. He seemed eager to talk about it all. We met almost by fate, he began, Mm Mm-hmm, I said, trying not to let it sound like you got that right. It was exam time during the fall term of Arthur's senior year in college. While studying one evening, he suddenly remembered that he had promised to return some notes he had borrowed from a classmate. He jumped in his car and drove straight over to the fellow's house without bothering to call him first. When Arthur arrived, he saw a young woman huddling on the steps of the house. She was shivering in the December cold, and she looked miserable. Arthur asked, hey, what's going on? Marisa explained that she and Tom were supposed to have a date that night, and a friend dropped her off. The lights were all on, but she found that the door was locked and Tom was nowhere to be seen. Unable to call anyone, this was before cell phones, Marisa had no choice but to wait. Arthur said he would gladly drive her home. They ended up talking till three o'clock in the morning in her living room that night. And that's how it all began. In recounting these events, Arthur used some words that struck me as especially important. When I first saw Marisa on those steps, he said, I thought she was a child of maybe 10 years old. Her arms were so thin in that little pink sweater. But when she stood up, I realized she was about my age. I thought I had here a possible clue to the nature of Arthur's karmic contract. Tell me more about that first moment when you saw Marisa sitting on the step, I said. Do you remember any other impressions? Yes, he said, narrowing his eyes as though to see better. She looked like a kid who'd been abandoned on the doorstep, the way you'd drop a kitten on somebody's porch hoping that they might take it in. Did impressions like these ever return after you got to know Marisa, I said? All the time, Arthur said. Sometimes I would see her curled up in the armchair reading a book, and she looked so small in that chair, so small and lonely somehow. A sad feeling would overtake my heart. 
and then I'd blink and I'd see her as she really is, a grown woman. In fact, she's only two inches shorter than myself. Over the next several sessions, we continued to explore the feelings and images and associations that Marisa evoked in Arthur's psyche. We began to see his profound conviction that he must take care of this person, no matter what she did, no matter what she said, no matter how he felt. It didn't really bother him that his wife shared no responsibilities for running a household or earning money. In fact, Arthur said he somehow hated to see her do any work, especially in the kitchen. With your permission, Arthur, I ventured, I'd like to explore a certain idea. Suppose that somewhere in your soul, you made a contract with yourself. Suppose that you pledged to support and care for Marisa as though she were a child under your protection. Can you think of any reason you might have made that pledge? From guilt, he said simply. Hmm, I said. All right, I'm going to ask you a question. I want you to quickly say anything that comes into your mind. Use your imagination. Just let the words free flow. So here's the question. Long ago and far away, what might you have done to Marisa that causes you guilt now? I sold her, he whispered. What, I asked? Not sure I even heard him correctly. They wanted her for the kitchen work. She begged to stay with me, but I sold them her contract. Poor little thing. Tears filled Arthur's eyes. And then he tried to recover. Your imagination techniques are too powerful, lady, he half laughed. Arthur, I said, wherever that story came from, we must trust it. It lives in your psyche with such reality that you began to cry. So let's stay with it and see where it leads. Then Arthur told me something he had never mentioned before. His studies in history focused on early colonial America and the practice of indenturing servants. It works like this. In order to pay a debt or get passage on a ship or support their families, people would lease themselves as laborers at a household for a certain period of time. Orphans and abandoned children were often indentured, and their labor could be sold to other proprietors. The cosmic story behind this relationship was beginning to reveal itself. We could presume that long ago, a man who actually was a part of Arthur's multidimensional self had an unprotected indentured girl in his household. Despite her pleas to remain, he sent her away into harsh labor and misery. Later, perhaps after that lifetime was over, he regretted this action, and he vowed to make amends the best he could. During one of our discussions, I asked Arthur, Suppose someone did commit an unjust act of this nature. How could he make it up to that soul? He could take care of her, Arthur answered without hesitation. He could make sure she'd never have to labor again. At that moment, I saw a lightness and peace in his face that I had never seen before. I knew that he was now in alignment with his soul's vow and I knew that his story would work out no matter what direction it took. And, as I will explain in a moment, this direction was rather amazing. Now here is the astonishing thing about a karmic contract. Once you have fulfilled its terms, 
Or once your soul has absorbed the experiences it needs, you are free. The relationship that formed the framework for your accomplishment will totally change, and this change is always positive for you. If you made difficult sacrifices or suffered hardships for the sake of your contract, the pendulum will swing back toward your happiness. Your lover or family member or friend or boss or anyone with whom you are involved may begin pouring good into your life. Or if that person cannot rise to the occasion, he or she may vanish from your life or at least cease to be the center of your concern. Depending on the situation, you yourself may say goodbye with a free heart. You will know what you wish to do, and it will feel right, so right. Let us turn to Arthur's story. He and I worked together for several months exploring his relationship with Marisa and, most importantly, his relationship with his own deep self. He now felt comfortable with his need to minister to the person under his care. No longer did he feel miserable or even object when Maurice accused him of being selfish or not caring about her. This was her experience, perhaps a ghost from the past. Arthur knew he was fulfilling his own inner vow, and that conviction gave him peace. It also gave him more courage to defend his own needs with confidence. Before long, for example, he began meeting his friends one night a week, even when Marisa objected. We both felt that he was in a good place to continue forward, and we agreed to end our work together. Well, two years passed before I heard from Arthur again. He wanted to tell me some surprising news. Arthur had noticed that Marisa became increasingly restless over time. There were days when she was gone all afternoon and part of the night. He wondered whether she was having an affair. And just when he was about to have a serious talk about this, Marisa told him she wanted a divorce. She had met a guitarist from Spain, and they had fallen in love. They wanted to live in Madrid together. At first, Arthur felt shocked, somewhat betrayed. But very soon, he noticed these feelings gave way to something else. He noticed the sense of happiness begin to steal over his heart. I remembered our talks about my karmic contract, he said. It's strange, but lately I had been thinking it must almost be complete. I felt like I had done the best I could and that no one could do any better to make it up to Marisa. I even began to imagine what it would feel like to live alone, but I couldn't see beyond that. Then Marisa herself set me free. If someone had told me this could happen, I would not have believed them. I still smile when I think about Arthur's experience, and you probably won't be surprised to learn what happened next. Arthur had a classmate at school in whom he often confided. She was a sweet and understanding person who always seemed to want the best for him. Now, secretly, she carried some romantic feelings for Arthur, but she vowed never to interfere in his marriage. Once he became free, however, she confessed her feelings, and their affection rapidly blossomed into love. I have never been this happy in my life, Arthur told me. 
I wonder if this beautiful partner is my karmic reward for a job well done. Arthur's experiences inspire us to look at our own karmic contracts. How can we recognize them? You can begin by answering these questions. Did you feel a very strong pull to enter this relationship, or did the hand of fate just seem to propel you into it? You see, karmic relationships seem to have a life of their own. You may find yourself deeply involved before you even quite know what's happening. Then you're swept up on a carousel of experiences over which it feels like you have only limited control. Do you experience a strong urge or a necessity to stay in this relationship, even if you can't understand why? For example, you might have fallen in love with someone who does not feel the same way or is already committed to another person. Perhaps you feel impelled to help a person to whom you have no special obligation or even more dramatically, whom you don't even like very much. I have actually seen this happen a number of times. Perhaps you're involved with a person who has psychological problems or is entangled in a messy situation. You know your life would be much more peaceful without this relationship, but you feel you cannot turn away. On the other end of the spectrum, you may be the recipient of generous support from a person who has no obvious reason for helping you and doesn't even want anything in return. You wonder, is it all right to keep accepting these favors? But to refuse also seems very wrong. These are just a few examples of how karmic contracts may manifest themselves. All right, thirdly, do you feel that by being in this relationship, you are accomplishing something important, even if you can't name what it is? Now, I know this is a subtle question, but if you're operating under karmic contract, I think you know what I'm talking about. It's a feeling that there's a larger purpose here, a purpose larger than the details of what's happening day to day. You sense that a bigger story is unfolding. If you answered yes to all three of these questions, you almost certainly are operating under a karmic bond. But once you know this, you'll begin to have amazing insights. Because remember, your psyche is fully aware of the value made and why you made it. So it's going to help you bring to the surface underlying images, feelings, and intentions that you need to know about. Just keep track of those images, keep expanding the story, keep imagining into it, and you'll kind of feel when you're on target like Arthur did. You'll just kind of know it's on the right track. And then keep asking yourself, all right, what actions can I take that will make me feel most fulfilled and at peace right now in this relationship? I use the word action because, as you know, the word karma means action in the Sanskrit language. We must perform certain actions to complete our contract. Now, these actions might be directed toward the other person, like in Arthur's case, or they might be internal, such as changing a major behavioral pattern in yourself. The required move will be unique to your situation. And I really want to emphasize this because, as we saw in our example, Arthur was obligated to stay in the relationship and give support for a certain period of time, no matter how unpleasant that duty was. 
But your contract may be just the opposite. Your soul may be urging you to leave a negative relationship and find the strength to live a better life. Your contract may ask you to give or to receive, to stay or to go, to be tolerant or to stand up against injustice. Whatever the issue is, it's important to know, though, this. It's never about the other person. We can't wait for them to change, for them to do the right thing, for them to meet us halfway. No, it's always about you and your soul. You need only carry out your part to the best of your ability. Then the whole situation will transform in a positive way for you. This might not happen like in 24 hours time. It might take a while. In my own experience of observation, it usually doesn't take more than six months. And it might be much shorter for you. But know that this, in a way, is the law. So as you communicate with your inner knowing and receive guidance, you will feel inspired to fulfill the mission you've chosen. And that being said, it's also essential to remember that you always have freedom to decide what you really will do. You can elect not to fulfill a contract. No one is forcing you to do it, even your own soul. Be assured that no special punishment will befall you if you just bail out and say, you know what, I'm not ready. I can't handle this another time. And later, when you're stronger or conditions are more favorable, you will likely have another chance to gain the benefit that your soul intended for you. Chances are, though, that the opportunity will be via a different person than the one you're with. As you journey through the rich and sometimes puzzling domains of this lifetime, I invite you to view your relationships from the highest perspectives. Be assured that every person in your life is there for a reason. Peer into these reasons and you will gain immensely useful insights. Ask yourself, why did I attract this particular individual into my experience? What am I learning by being with this person? How can I use this relationship to give my best and be my best? Questions like these elevate us above the worldly push and pull of ordinary emotions. Holding a higher perspective is especially important in times of fear or uncertainty or conflict. With all our strength, we must rise from the thickets of ordinary entanglement and view our relationships through the eyes of a God. Then we can behold the light of who we truly are and know profoundly why we walk together.